Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. David Gaspers, Principal City Planner at City and County of Denver, joins Brownstein shareholder Caitlin Quander for a discussion about Blueprint Denver, Denver's land use and transportation plan for the next 20 years. Through the city's two-year outreach and planning effort, input from thousands of Denverites has resulted in a draft plan. Learn where Denver is working to target investment and how land use decisions will be made through the lens of social equity. So I'm Caitlin Quander, and this is David Gaspers, and I will provide uh, further introductions as we go. But I want to say thank you very much for coming. So the reason we wanted to have this presentation today was that when the citywide rezoning and zoning code update occurred in 2010, um, while there were many that were involved, including myself and our firm, I think there were others that were caught a little bit flat-footed. So as the city prepares to finalize and adopt Comprehensive Plan 2040 in Blueprint Denver, we wanted to make sure that the development community was hearing from the city and that the city was hearing from the development community. So uh, I am Caitlin Quander. I'm in our real estate group and do a lot of land use and entitlement front-end work, um, and have also been serving on the Blueprint Denver Task Force for the last couple of years. David is focused on transportation planning, transit-oriented development, and walkable urbanism for the past 11 years, and he is currently the project manager for the update to Blueprint Denver. So he's been leading the staff team and leading all the consultants through their process and, and a lot of the outreach as well with the community. So why does Blueprint Denver matter? Uh, Comp Plan 2040 and Blueprint Denver will serve as the city's guiding document on growth and development. So as some may be familiar in this room, if you're looking to rezone or entitle your property and you want to do it differently in the city, the city looks to these plans and these maps to see if they support what you're proposing. Uh, And and if you uh, are familiar with the city council hearings, at those city council hearings, when they walk through the criteria for approval, they look to the comprehensive plans for that consistency and compatibility. Also, they can serve as a guide to the development community. So where where does the city envision growth and development going? And if you choose to develop in those areas, uh, I think we can anticipate that the process may go a little bit more smoothly because the city's really put the time and energy into thinking about those areas and directing growth to those areas. So for the last two years, um, I was a mayoral appointee to our Blueprint Denver Task Force, and we have spent a lot of time in a lot of meetings reflecting back on the current Blueprint Denver and maybe things we would tweak and change. We've heard about a lot of metrics, um, kind of currently where the city is and where uh, it's predicted that the city will be in 20 years. And we've debated concepts, embedded various principles and policies that are now in the draft document that is out for public review. For you, I can be a resource. So I encourage you to read the document, particularly take a look at the maps and some of the concepts and policies around it. Um, And feel free to provide feedback um, through the city on the website um, and directly to David, maybe. and, uh, but also to me, if, you're, if you want kind of an additional voice and to make sure that something's rising to the top, um, we have upcoming meetings, and I'm certainly happy to discuss your questions with you, um, answer questions, and, and raise issues if need be. Uh, so a few key takeaways for me through the Denver uh, Blueprint Task Force process, and then I'll turn it over to David to kind of present on the plan itself. Um, Denver's population is growing. Not a surprise, (laughs) but the numbers, I think, were to me. So since 2002, we've grown by 150,000 people. And by 2040, we're anticipating nearly 900,000, so an additional 21% increase. 
density. So we think of density in Denver, but in 1950, much of Denver's population was close to the city center when the city had almost 10 people per acre. Then as the region sprawled out, Denver's population shrank and the density declined. So by 1990, many areas were half as dense as 40 years prior. And really now what we're doing and seeing it's kind of a return to that density and desire to return to the city center. And I thought, and I know that I've, I've heard Brad Buchanan, head of planning, um, share that fact before because it really, I, I think it's a, a good reminder that, you know, while this density may feel like more and the development may feel like more, we really were more dense in 1950. Um, one of the things you'll hear David speak to uh, is that we're looking at Blueprint Denver through a lens of social equity. And we've had a lot of conversations around equity, treating every person the same, and including the access to opportunities. So a really key theme in our discussions and a key theme throughout the Blueprint Denver plan. Um, particularly with the goal of creating complete neighborhoods. So neighborhoods can look different, but making sure that those neighborhoods have the same access to parks, to grocery stores, to jobs, to transportation. Um, and if you're familiar with Blueprint Denver, the current Blueprint Denver, they have the map of areas of stability and areas of change. And that was a really... Um, advanced progressive idea at the time that it was approved, and I think it was very helpful to both the development community um, and neighborhoods as they talked about things, but I think it was also very uh, kind of restrictive in that it was, uh, you kind of had one or the other, right? You were an area of stability or you were an area of change. And I think some people felt that that meant that if you were an area of stability, there was no change. And <laughs> if you were an area of change, that's where everything was supposed to go. And it really was meant, meant to be uh, kind of more, more linear and a blend, uh, but sometimes that didn't echo through when you saw public hearings. Um, so in fact, uh, it is good to know that the areas of change did receive, over time, 10 times more housing units per acre than areas of stability. So really, the concept did work. Um, since 2002, about 67% of housing growth has happened in just 18% of the city. But I think we did see tensions over time um, where people would say, I'm an area of stability and this rezoning shouldn't happen here. Um, so now the, the intent really with Blueprint Denver is to have it be more complex. Uh, there are growth strategy maps and places maps that I really encourage you to take a look at and take a look at properties you own or properties that you're considering buying or developing and see how those are mapped. But there's much, much more to the plan and a lot of different lenses that it looks through in, in framing the discussions around development of those parcels. So with that, I will turn it over to David. And um, we are, I know he's uh, left time for uh, questions at the end uh, so that we can have a great conversation. Caitlin, thank you so much. And thanks for getting everyone here today to, to talk about this uh, important plan process. I think you really covered my entire presentation there. That was a great job of actually uh, uh, kind of summarizing over two years of task force effort. Uh, we have task force meeting 19, hopefully, coming up here next month. So that's a lot of time and effort that uh, those task force members have contributed to. So I'll try to keep this presentation relatively brief. So we have plenty of time for a QA. and I think that probably be the most rewarding um, part of the, the morning here. Um, and I'll, I'll try to keep it a, a, a not too dry, I guess. All right. Um, a little bit of background on uh, the whole process. Uh, as uh, Caitlin mentioned, we, we kicked this off actually in 2016. And it's a part of Blueprint Denver is an update, right? We have an existing Blueprint Denver document that was adopted by City Council in 2002. It is an adopted uh, city uh, document. And uh, we started to look to update that plan in 2015 or so. Uh, we're in conversations with our Public Works Department, who were 
was looking at uh, doing a local transit plan at the same time. We then realized that our Parks and Recreation Department was looking to update game plan, which is also an adopted plan by city council. And we started to come together and thought that it would make a lot of sense to do all of these in one kind of holistic process, um, easier for the community to understand how they are all interacting. And so we created this thing called Denver Right, uh, really a plan process where we had four different plans citywide all happening at the same time. Um, remember, okay, yeah, no, no animation on the slide. Uh, so that was Blueprint Denver, which is our land use and transportation plan, uh, game plan, uh, the uh, Parks and Rec master plan. And then we had two modal plans, actually, that came out of this. Uh, Denver Moves Transit, which is focused on local transit, not the, the regional transit that RTD only provides, um, and pedestrian and trails. So everything um, mobility-wise with walking uh, around our city. Uh, and then ultimately, as we went through the process, we realized that uh, we could actually update our comprehensive plan at the same time, uh, which is really a document that uh, was collecting dust on the shelf. It was not uh, being used um, in a real way by the people that were supposed to be using it. So we've updated that as well. So there's five citywide plans all at one time that uh, have been released for public review. Uh, this is just a quick, you probably can't read this very well, but um, trust me, there's a lot of stuff up there. Uh, as We kicked this off in May of, of 2016. The blue line kind of indicates like the big community engagement windows where we went out into the public, had workshops, um, uh, were out in the community, uh, in, in uh, community events where people were already at, as well as having online surveys um, to take input in. We've had, I think, over 16,000 touch points through the two-year process across all uh, five plans. Uh, if you compare that to what we did with Blueprint Denver in 2002, they had about 2,000 people participate in that process. So we have got a lot of input over time. And that, that blue arrow there indicates where we're at kind of today, where we released a draft plan uh, on August 6th, and we have public review through October 31st. Uh, we have heard from some organizations, um, especially from our neighborhoods, that they want more time. Uh, so we have uh, started granting extensions. Um, so if anybody here is going to be looking closely at the plan, which I hope you do, and need a little bit more time than October 31st, you can email me and get an extension out to November 30th. So keep that in mind. Uh, what we do hope to actually uh, get this in front of planning board in early uh, next year and then city council uh, still in the first quarter. Um, as Caitlin mentioned, uh, a lot of our process is, is kind of built around uh, this community values conversation that we had in 2016 and 2017. And uh, that was the value of having that many people um, provide input, uh, both online and in person, and learn what we cared most about as a community. And then we're able to start uh, talking to our task force. Uh, I'm sure Caitlin's in there somewhere, uh, uh, hard at work, uh, uh, talking about how are we actually going to update this Blueprint Denver document and, and how well the initial plan actually has, has served us. Um, and ultimately, we landed on six different vision elements that um, not only apply to Blueprint Denver, but all five Denver Right plans, and in particular, really have been rolled up into uh, the comprehensive plan update. So if you look at the comprehensive plan, which is actually a pretty uh, brief uh, document, it's only about 75 pages, so it's pretty accessible, and it really just cuts to the, to the, um, the facts and provides a, an overarching um, framework for the other plans. Uh, you'd see that it's organized by the six vision elements. 
So things like being equitable, having strong neighborhoods, um, a, a resilient economy, uh, being sustainable are all part of the vision um, for Denver Right. Each plan has goals and metrics. Uh, we're going to be measuring our success as we go. So um, you can take a close look at that. And we would expect to be reporting back on those metrics on a regular basis. Blueprint also identified key themes that our task force really zeroed in on and had uh, in-depth conversations about. Those were equity, urban design, and water and climate. So if you were reviewing the plan, and especially in our recommendation section, you'd see these themes uh, throughout the policies and strategies um, for the city. Uh, equity really uh, ultimately became the, uh, an overriding um, factor, I would say, in many ways in our discussions with the task force and the community, so much that the subtitle of Blueprint Denver, which is a land use and transportation plan, I believe that was a very exciting subtitle of the last version, <laughs> uh, is now a blueprint for an inclusive city. Uh, the idea is, um, yes, we are growing and changing, um, but how are we going to do that in an inclusive manner um, that results in a, an inclusive uh, equitable Denver in 2040. That's the plan horizon. And so uh, kind of the back of the napkin summary of the plan is that it is a land use and trans- transportation plan that is focused on creating complete neighborhoods. And as Caitlin said, that doesn't mean we're all the same. Uh, we have 78 statistical neighborhoods. Each one can be unique, but they should have some base level of uh, amenities and services that we're trying to uh, have. Not just the best neighborhoods uh, should have those. And we want to connect those neighborhoods with a complete multimodal transportation network throughout the city. Um, It does have a growth strategy. Um, It's um, very much a measured common sense approach based off of a lot of work we've done with the state and and Dr. Cog. Uh, And then for the very first time in Denver and uh, kind of catching up to a few of our peer cities, we've incorporated these social equity factors into the plan document. Um, that allows us to tailor solutions uh, by neighborhood, um, especially as we go forward and implement um, the plan. So I'll touch on each one of those for a, a, a quick bit here, dive into a little more details, uh, kind of see the nuts and bolts of how the plan actually works. So uh, the complete neighborhoods and networks idea is that uh, in the top right of that screen, uh, we have what a, uh, the elements of a complete neighborhood, and that would be the land use and built form, mobility and what we call quality of life infrastructure um it's a fancy term that parks came up with but really it's all the generally the green stuff that makes our neighborhoods uh, a little softer and and more livable so not only the parks and open space but things like green infrastructure that go along with developments uh, these days street trees all those things that that make our neighborhoods desirable um the mobility factor how do you move around uh the the neighborhood itself and then the land use and built form you notice that that's uh a little bit more complicated than just saying, simply saying we have a land use map, right? That's what we had in the last Blueprint Denver, a future land use map. We're calling these places, um, and they have all of these elements uh, built into them. We want to connect those neighborhoods uh, with that complete multimodal transportation network. So that means we have a pedestrian-enhanced and pedestrian network uh, outlined in the plan, a bicycle network, transit network, and then auto and goods movement, uh, especially goods movement in particular, is going to continue to be a, a big factor over the next 20 years. That growth strategy I mentioned, um, and it's kind of weird because I'm thinking that you have really small screens in front of you, but actually you have very big ones. So hopefully you can actually see this somewhat because I'm like squinting over here. Um, 
is uh, really based uh, off of the, the places map that I'll show you in a, a second. Uh, it is not areas of change and area stability. It is a little bit different, um, but it does help us identify where we are being uh, strategic and intentional and where we're directing more growth than others. We also have broken down the amount of growth um, for these different places, um, which, again, we'll be able to track. Now, I don't think we're actually going to actually land on those percentages. It's the idea of being able to measure your success as we go forward and um, have a plan that's um, more um, malleable uh, as we implement it. Uh, The projections, as Caitlin mentioned, population a projection of 894,000. Uh, I think our 2017 estimate is around 704 or 705. Uh, and employment of 720,000 jobs, which is, I think, an increase of about 130, 135,000 jobs over the present number. Um, so that's out to 2040. Uh, in context, the region is even growing faster than Denver. Uh, we'll be shrinking a little bit as a share of the region. The region will grow by 1.2 million or so. Um, and again, we worked closely with, with Dr. Cog, uh, our Council of Governments, and the State Demographer's Office on working with, with these numbers. And as they release their updated numbers here in the future, I think they will align with our, our projections. And if I could just pepper in here, this is one of the maps. And you know, if, you, if you're working with it on the city website, you can zoom in uh, much closer. But this is one of the maps that I would encourage everyone to take a look at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from, a, from a where we'd expect... Um, growth to go and then potentially city investments around our rail stations and, and other growth areas, uh, this would be an important map to look at. Um, as I mentioned, it's a, called a place-based strategy because it's based off of our, our future uh, places map. Uh, so it's not just we want to direct growth here and not there. We've uh, had a very conscious uh, conversation with the task force and the community that Growth is uh, just one part of change, and that's where we brought in those equity elements to talk about how all of our neighborhoods are evolving. It does identify that even though we are directing, um, I think it's 45% of all jobs to our regional centers, which are like downtown and Cherry Creek and um, some of our rail stations like I-25 and Broadway and Central Park and Bellevue Station uh, down by the Tech Center, um, that all of Denver will be evolving um, over the next 20 years, and our neighborhoods will take some percentage of that, that growth. Um, I believe it's about 10% of all jobs and 20% of housing would be in the, the, the white uh, color there, essentially. And so uh, it's, that's an important conversation that we've had with our task force, that we can't just um, have that binary conversation about uh, growth in Denver. It needs to be how all of our neighborhoods are evolving. That's paired then with our key equity concepts, right? So these are very much data-driven, quantitative maps um, that we'll be able to update over time and have worked closely with other city departments that are already maintaining uh, the, this data. And so uh, the access opportunity uh, slide there, uh, or the map is in purple. Uh, that's all about uh, our public health department's equity index, um, and we added a few extra data points in there uh, in regards to access to transit as well as our centers and corridors on our map. And that is really about um, kind of a, a good way to measure how uh, complete of a neighborhood you are, how, how much access do you have to your parks, your fresh foods, and, and transit, and all those uh, job opportunities, for example. Uh, the map in yellow there is being uh, displaying vulnerability to displacement. And so this is back to that, that um, affordability uh, challenge that we have growing in our, our city and looking at neighborhoods that um, 
have the characteristics that make them vulnerable to involuntary displacement. This is a data set that our Office of Economic Development is, is maintaining and will be able to use over time. And then the, the map in green there is measuring uh, housing and jobs diversity. And so that's a mix of the types of uh, housing types and the age of housing and the size of housing with the types of jobs and the amount of jobs in each of our neighborhoods to kind of look at that location efficiency and, and how well each one of our neighborhoods are kind of contributing to that larger uh, city goal of having a mix of housing and jobs throughout Denver. If I could Denver. just uh, chime in on, on the displacement, we had some really interesting conversations about how the city's choices of infrastructure investment can also drive development and drive displacement. So... I mean, we think of the great investments that have happened along the Brighton Corridor um, and what those have done within Rhino. And development was happening, and there was this demand for much better infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, because development was starting down there, um, you know, we need sidewalks, we need better road system, um, we need better sewer and water. And so the city went in and made those investments. And then what we saw was it drove more and more uh, development to that same area. And so without meaning to, the intent was to improve the infrastructure and improve the neighborhood on the city side to make those investments. But we also <laughs> saw that struggle of displacement of certain um, residents and businesses who, because that was also driving development, weren't able to stick around. And so I think the city is really working and kind of be thoughtful. And we spent a lot of time as a task force thinking about knowing that 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 can sometimes be part of the process when you make those city investments in infrastructure. What can the city do at the same time to uh, support those that are not interested in being displaced? And what programs can the city bring in at the same time that that investment is made to make sure that those that want to stay can can stay in a, in kind of dip through different programming options? Yeah, that's exactly exactly right. I, I, it's amazing. We've actually had neighborhoods that uh, go through a plan process, uh, prioritize sidewalks for their neighborhood, and then literally um, after they start to, to think about that may actually make their neighborhood more desirable, tell us we, we don't want sidewalks any longer, right? That's not what we, we want, right? We want to be able to invest in a neighborhood that needs uh, a basic amenity like that, infrastructure, like uh, safe sidewalks for their kids to walk to school, um, but not feel like that's actually going to have an uh, unintentional result of displacement. Um, so it's a real challenge. The city needs to come in and be able to balance mm-hmm. investments with uh, the right type of programs to make sure that we don't have those uh, unintended consequences. Um, and so we have an entire chapter in the plan called Equitable Planning that kind of lays out uh, these tools, uh, which will really can, can help city council and, and uh, other decision makers when uh, they are considering um, the budget or infrastructure investments, um, planning efforts uh, in our neighborhoods and thinking about what type of considerations we need to uh, have at the forefront of those discussions um, and what are we, are we doing to make sure that we don't have um, some um, some challenges in these neighborhoods that we didn't um, mean to, to actually um, produce? Um, it is key to know that it, at the scale of the, the data that we have with these equity maps, they're not really applied to a individual rezoning. Um, uh, you know, a small parcel isn't going to solve an equity issue in a neighborhood, so that's not the intent. Uh, and we need to make sure that's very clear in the plan. Uh, we've already heard that comment, and I, I think we can make that even more um, clear and succinct. Um, but it is hopefully something that we can continue to have that, that equity conversation as we go forward, because it does actually apply to things like how much we're going to grow. Um, if we don't maintain some level of affordability um, in our, our neighborhoods and a diversity of folk living in our, our, our city, um, it, we could become more exclusive opposed to be in, being inclusive um, in 2040.
we do try to make the plan user-friendly. It is a very long document. Uh, how many people have actually read the entire plan so far? All right, I've got a few overachievers back there. <laughs> Probably Kim, I would guess, right? Um, at about 285 pages. Uh, I, I've often uh, joked, though, that, I mean, as we were actually producing the plan, uh, the, the second half of the document is really intended to be more about a resource as we'd actually have it adopted. It's almost better thought of as uh, as we evolve actually get this adopted, it'll be more like a, a website or an e-plan, and a lot of it is actually, hopefully will uh, reduce the uh, cumbersome nature of, of the existing plan by allowing you to go right to where you want to find your plan guidance and direction, but it just results in a, a big, heavy PDF as of right now. Uh, but we do kind of lay out how you're, how you're supposed to use the plan. I think these uh, sections of the plan will also become even more uh, robust as we produce another draft. Uh, we also make sure it's clear how the plan works with other planning efforts. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Neighborhood Planning Initiative. Uh, I mentioned we have 78 statistical neighborhoods in, in Denver and well over 200 uh, smaller R&O-type uh, neighborhoods. Um, it's difficult to try to get everyone to have a current neighborhood plan. It's been a major challenge, um, mainly because it takes one and a half, two years at least to do a, a neighborhood plan. And so uh, the rate that we were doing, which is one or two at a time, it would take oh, I don't know, 40 more years to get everyone up with a new plan. Uh, we do have maybe about 20 neighborhoods that have had an, a more recent plan since Blueprint Denver was adopted in 2002. So this neighborhood planning initiative um, is grouping neighborhoods together in 19 planning areas and uh, allows us to kind of systematically uh, do this planning effort, a much quicker effort. So maybe in the next 10 or 12 years, we hope to have all of our neighborhoods with a relevant, up-to-date neighborhood plan and that relates to Blueprint Denver. We won't have plans that have conflicting maps or policies. Um, they should all work um, in conjunction with one another. And um, we have three of these already in, in process, two along East Colfax and one in Far Northeast. Far North. Okay. Oh, go ahead. And, and I think that's a really great opportunity to get involved because that really will drill down to specifics of blocks and areas and locations. And I've certainly seen in uh, when we're looking at an entitling a property or what its current entitlements are, if there is a current neighborhood plan, it matters. And that is really, really what the city is going to look to. If it's an older plan, they kind of, you know, it's worth talking about, but this may not be quite current. But if there is a recent plan, um, that it will be a guiding document. And so being involved in that process to make sure that the properties um, that you own or are looking at are, um, are kind of consistent with, with the vision that you th- see for that community is really important, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also to rezonings, uh, what we call map amendments within the city, where we're actually going in and, and potentially changing the zoning map. Uh, we do uh, show how a blueprint ever applies and, and what should be always looked at and what potentially needs to be looked at when you're considering a rezoning um, of a piece of property and kind of gives you that uh, overview of how to use the plan for that particular process. Uh, and then so to dive in a little bit more on the complete neighborhoods and networks really quick because it is the, the nuts and bolts of the uh, the plan. So as I mentioned, there's three different uh, elements that can vary. So we have the land use and built form, mobility, and quality of life infrastructure. And uh, each one of those can actually vary by the types of places that we find in our neighborhoods. And so there's a places map, future places map, that identifies where our centers, corridors, residential areas, and our districts are. Our districts are like the industrial areas or campuses that kind of have this reason for being there. Uh, they, those elements can also vary by the type of streets that are in your neighborhood, 
as well as the neighborhood context. And that's probably the most important in the sense that uh, we've introduced neighborhood context in our update of the zoning code in 2010, something we use on the regulatory side. We have not had that in planning documents up to this point. So we're now aligning uh, our planning with our, our regulatory tools, right? So now we have neighborhood context in Blueprint Denver. Uh, this uh, slide shows the types of places that you'd see in Denver. We have three different types of centers, and local, community, and regional. That's essentially small, medium, big, uh, right, from an intensity and attraction standpoint. We have two levels of corridors, local and community, again, kind of the small and medium, and then four levels of residential areas, low, low, medium, medium, high, and high. Uh, what's actually the slide is showing is that uh, the blue boxes below there are the contexts, right? <clears throat> if you're familiar with our, our zoning code, suburban, urban edge, urban, general urban, urban center, downtown. It's the um, kind of the DNA of our neighborhoods. Do you have alleys or not? Uh, were you built around the streetcar era and have your your uh, little uh, local center uh, built up to the street? Or are you more auto-oriented and you have uh, more parking and and you don't have alleys and have uh, your homes with uh, you know, front-loading garages. Those are the, the things like block structure and um, the street grid that are hard to change, right? That's the DNA of our neighborhoods. And not all places um, are the same in our city, so that's where we can sort of have the nuance of the plan. Uh, a local center can be described slightly differently from a, a suburban local center opposed to an urban local center and down the line. And some places don't apply. You, you aren't going to have a regional center, which is going to be big and intense, um, in an urban context because that's probably more like an urban center or, or, or downtown or, or general urban. So this kind of gives you that a quick snapshot of what all these places um, – can be applied, and that's where really the second half of the document uh, makes it so so big and thick is that um, we have all that nuance laid out by context. Um, this is the context map. It is an aspirational, it's future neighborhood context for 2040. In reality, it's hard to change neighborhoods' DNA, so most of this probably reflects what's on the ground uh, today. Um, West Wash Park is an urban neighborhood today. It aspires to be an urban neighborhood in 2040. But uh, in areas where we expect to see some of that growth and, and development in a more intense way, like our rail stations, I-25 and Broadway, for example, um, might be jumping context from, well, kind of industrial, essentially, well, a few years ago before it got tore down, to an urban center, right? So there is jumps in context, but that's where you're actually going to see um, significant infrastructure to make that jump um, in context, our neighborhoods are, are a little bit more stable in that nature. <clears throat> and so when you're reviewing the plan, look at, identify a property that you're interested in or you own, identify what context it is first, then look at the places map, identify what place it is, and then you can turn to chapter six and find the exact description of plan guidance of, of what we're looking at there from that mix of land use and built form, which includes a range of building heights. Um, we're probably going to be tweaking that a little bit too because that's been a um, kind of a bit of a confusing part of the plan, but want to make sure that uh, it does give a, a range of building heights um, as well as the mobility expectations and, and quality of life infrastructure for each one of the places by context. Um, that's kind of just the, the layout of the plan where we're actually giving those descriptions by those elements. Um, the street types is uh, another 
um, part of the, the document. This is actually a carryover from the existing Blueprint Denver. We have street types in um, Blueprint Denver 2002, not well utilized. Uh, we worked closely with Public Works developing these. Um, this is probably not too exciting, but it is important because this is the kind of groundwork that we're laying out in this plan to crack open our street design standards and guidelines, the, the rules and regs of how Public Works uh, builds and permits and operates streets, and uh, there are already money in the budget um, going forward next year for Public Works to be leading that effort with everyone else who uses uh, uh, those those regulations, including like the fire department and and folks. So it's, it is an important part of the document. lays out a set of design variables by street type and have this map across the in, entire city, um, which is uh, something that we didn't do in the last blueprint either. So it's it's a far more usable um, element of the plan. And then finally, uh, the elements of a complete network. And so this here is where we lay out our expectations of modal priority uh, for the city, something we did not have in the existing Blueprint Denver document at all and really is laying out that um, we do want complete streets. Uh, It's important that our our streets are functioning for all users and all modes, but we do have constrained right-of-way, but we do have a great street grid at the same time. So how can we use our entire network throughout Denver to be moving people um, with all the different modes that we're, we're facing, especially with evolving technologies. Um, and so we lay out what it means to be a pedestrian-enhanced area within uh, the city of Denver and where those are located. We map those. Um, and so what type of amenities you would expect in, in streets uh, that are ped-enhanced. We also lay out bicycle priority streets and the amenities and infrastructure that you'd expect on uh, bicycle priority streets and map those. And then transit priority streets. Again, the amenities and infrastructure you'd expect on transit priority streets and where those are actually mapped. This is an example. It's kind of a boring map to look at, but if you look at it, it's uh, pretty important even from a growth strategy perspective because we uh, expect this is where we could see additional growth along our local transit system, not just the, the rail, uh, rail stations that we have um, with the RTD system. The, the, the key here with this section of the plan is that we worked closely with the other Denver right plans. We were fortunate enough to have the pedestrian and trails plan happening at the same time, able to focus on where we want pedestrian enhanced amenities. The transit plan, um, this, is, this map is borrowed directly from that transit plan, which is not an adopted plan. It's more of an implementation document. So we have this as an adopted map of where our, our transit priority streets are. And it's really talking about trade-offs. Um, if we are going to actually be able to accommodate uh, center-running BRT like we are talking about doing on Colfax, uh, there may be trade-offs to uh, the amount of uh, auto uh, movement occurs uh, as well as where uh, maybe the bicycle uh, uh, facility goes, right? And on the Colfax example, there's a parallel street, 16th, which makes sense from a bicycle um, infrastructure standpoint. It's working as a network. Um, but in the future, Colfax is going to prioritize transit and transit movement. And so if you look at the Denver Moves Transit Plan, they, they really lay out where they see the capital investment corridors for um, high-frequency, high-capacity transit, uh, such as Colfax, Colorado, Federal, uh, Spear-Leedsdale, uh, to name a few, and Broadway, um, and as well as where they want to increase the frequency. So we actually have 15-minute or less um, uh, frequency all day long, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week. Um, that's something that RTD isn't going to be able to do for us by themselves. It's going to mean that the city may have to consider how we can invest in transit um, uh, as well. 
Um, and then from a, a review perspective, really taking a look at the, at the plan, chapter three is called Plan and Action. It's where all the recommendations really are um, outside of the maps. And so uh, we have, I think, 63 or 64 policy statements grouped by those uh, complete neighborhood elements and then uh, strategies, typically four or five strategies for each one of those policies. And so um, if you're looking at things uh, like design quality, for example, we have an entire section on design quality talking about how we want to have better design tools, um, both in our, our centers and corridors, but as well as our neighborhoods. We have housing recommendations. We speak a lot about ADUs, um, accessory dwelling units, and um, that we want uh, ADUs allowed throughout our city, but we need to have a, a very an intentional approach um, and an additional planning process, really, to be able to have that community conversation and, and a lot of other really key recommendations that would be, again, adopted by city council and really kind of set in wills in motion for a lot of additional work over the next few years. Um, and so I think that's it. The upcoming schedule, as I mentioned, we've had this draft plan out since August. We are closing the, the public review on October 31st, but you can ask for that extension if you want to have a little bit more time. Uh, we do have office hours. We've been doing these over the last two months. The last one is actually today, and it's in downtown, the web building. So if you have any questions about anything uh, in the plan that I can answer here in the next half hour or whatever, uh, you can stop by uh, first floor of the web building. I think it's 1B6. Uh, we're there for three hours. Still online. You can comment online. You can comment on the maps online. Everything you want is, is there. Uh, we'd be trying to get to planning board in January. Uh, releasing a draft plan in January and actual hearing in February. And if we'd stay on that schedule, have city council adoption by late March. Uh, so thank you, David. Um, so I'll open it up to questions. I know I have a few, but um, I'll open it up to the group first. And if everybody's quiet, I'll jump in. <laughs> So the question related to the equity concept and really how the plan is is talking about equity and some of the recommendations being made, um, because you're right, there's a page that talks about kind of what should be always considered for rezonings and what may be considered but is intended to be kind of viewed more broadly, but there have been questions about that and, and the need for further clarity um, and kind of, you know, how is equity going to be addressed for Displacement does it come in in overlays or incentives or, or potentially that the developer would have to uh, kind of put, put up more to avoid displacement? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's a great question, and I, I do think that we're going to work really hard on the next uh, release uh, of the uh, draft plan to even make it more clear on how to apply the, the key equity concepts. Uh, and again, uh, in, in that regard, we want to make sure that an individual, you know, just one parcel or, or, or one or two parcels, one project can't solve uh, some of our equity challenges. And so we can't have that apply to those type of small rezonings. Um, but we, it does, the plan does lay out that if it is a larger redevelopment site, and this is not too different than how we really have been doing business uh, anyway, you know, if we look at something like a, a, a master developer uh, in, around a rail station or something like that, um, being able to to look at these equity maps and making sure that we're thinking about things like involuntary displacement and actually how it impacts not only uh, potential housing but but um, maybe small businesses as well, and just saying that the city needs to be um, more proactive about that. Uh, I think the the flip side of the conversation is if we're not not using these equity concepts and actually talking about some of these challenges, 
um, and having some data to actually understand what parts of the city are most impacted by them. Uh, you know, we, through this two-year process, uh, we've heard everything uh, from folks of saying that, you know, we just want to put up a wall around Denver and not let anybody else in, right? Why can't we just, like, tell people to stop development, right? Development's the problem. Um, and um, so I think by pairing this with our growth strategy map and saying that we still want to be uh, intentional about where we're directing more growth, but acknowledging that all of our, our neighborhoods do evolve. We did capture 65, 67% of all housing in our areas of change, but the the most challenging um, conversations and the fights at city council and planning board were always the areas that was actually in an area of stability. Um, even if it was a good project and made sense, um, sometimes the, the conversation really went askew. And so um, if we're going to actually be inclusive and actually achieve some of our affordability uh, goals, right? I mean, um, in, in Denver over the next 20 years, um, we do need to grow. And um, if we put up a wall around Denver, we'd still grow by like 100,000 because we actually have this thing called natural increase, right? People still actually start families in Denver and we live a lot longer, which actually means we're going to have more people in Denver in 2040, regardless if we had a lot of people moving to Denver. And that would uh, impact uh, affordability as well. So these equity concepts have to be applied applied broadly and just allows our city council and and others to be having um, tools to actually have the conversation opposed to just talking about them uh, in an incremental one-off manner. Yeah, so the question involves the update that David mentioned um, from coming from Public Works and, and the funding now dedicated to um, do an update on the regulations, which is, uh, you know, quite frankly, sorely needed, I think. <laughs> um, as you, so, uh, but how that's going to fit together with the blueprint process. Right. The last time our street design standards and, and regs and rules essentially were updated was like 20 years ago, and it was an extremely painful process. Um, it's not only Public Works uses this, but the fire department and and anybody in, in kind of development services. Um, so when development comes in, it's like, you know, how, how are we actually building our streets? And it, it's 20 years old, but it probably feels like it's almost 40 years old from what we are now trying to achieve with our streets. And, and so, you know, what, what we quickly realized, if we were going to achieve citywide goals like Vision Zero, where we're trying to, you know, eliminate traffic fatalities, we need to be able to build safer streets um, that accommodate all these different modes uh, far more than just being focused on the automobile. And so the, the process is going to be a, a comprehensive one, um, probably take more than one year to do, um, have a lot of um, um, uh, stakeholders that will be um, involved in, in evolving that. But ultimately, it would hopefully update our, our rules and regs, and so our, our, our streets can be built um, in the most up-to-date um, um, uh, kind of more progressive um, um, manner so we can actually have a, a city that actually functions and has uh, increased mobility. Um, so it's it, it, comprehensive as you could imagine, I would say. And that will be a difficult process. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Other questions? Um, so I, I have one, and I've seen the maps, but if you could touch on a handful of areas that you think um, are really a, a focus for uh, for development going forward. I mean, I think when we did Blueprint 2000 or 2002, um, there was a lot more kind of infill opportunities, right? In the city, mm-hmm. we had um, Stapleton um, and, and others where there was a lot 
more just kind of infill within the boundaries of the city of Denver, uh, Green Valley Ranch, to go to. Um, And we don't necessarily have as many of those anymore. So I think the conversation has been a lot tougher at the task force and community level. Um, so if you could ha- touch on a handful of areas where kind of in this growth strategy map, there, there continues to be a focus to drive um, investment and development. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, without having Lowry or Stapleton or, or GBR providing those big infill opportunities, it is a, a more nuanced Approach. Uh, some of the areas aren't too dissimilar, though, that, to our previous areas of change. A lot of our uh, urban centers around our rail stations are still growth opportunities, and we do have specific um, policies to try to you know, really push that forward. Um, we have downtown in Cherry Creek, but if you could imagine Denver in 2040 and we actually see uh, I-25 and Broadway and Central Park Station and Bellevue Station, 61st and Pena, really functioning more like a Cherry Creek, um, that would be a big difference. Um, and so those are the obvious opportunities. But I think a little bit more um, you know, deeper in the map there are the corridors um, because – those regional centers are typically around an existing um, infrastructure investment of, of billions of dollars of fast tracks money to, to have those rail stations. But as we would actually develop the uh, the transit local transit investments uh, along uh, a corridor like Federal or Colorado, and have a lot more um, bus rapid transit or similar type of um, investment, it's still it's maybe not billions, but it's hundreds of millions of dollars to do one of those. Right? That's what Colfax will cost. Um, we would expect to see um, investment opportunities, development opportunities along those corridors. A lot of them, uh, if you you know, think about kind of brick-and-mortar retail and how that may be evolving, and uh, we may have a lot of underutilized um, you know, commercial spaces along an auto-oriented uh, corridor like Colorado or Federal, and those could be real opportunities. The map identifies some of those, but we also will be relying then on the MPI process, the neighborhood planning effort, to actually take that deeper dive and maybe see where we could even expand those growth opportunities along those corridors when we have a better idea of when the actual transit investment will be um, coming. So I look at those quarters closely. One of the conversations we've had at the task force level is kind of on on the influence of technology and how we need to have a Blueprint Denver plan mm-hmm. that is more flexible um, and can shift with the time because – uh, while we can talk about, particularly when it comes to transit and, and you know, vehicles, what changes we see, but it's really the changes that we don't even know are coming that may happen that we're trying to also plan for. Um, can, so maybe you can touch on some points of the plan, both on the flexibility, but on kind of accounting for changes in transportation that we know will happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's it's hard to do a 20-year plan when there's so many things changing on the transportation technology side. Um, so we really try to set up the plan to be flexible enough uh, to acknowledge uh, some of those emerging technologies and have some, some policy statements on things like curbside management um, to be starting to say that we need to be able to address um, all of those things, um, including autonomous vehicles and, and how that fits into our our system of, of mobility and that we want to make sure that as those are deployed, uh, that the city is out front and not being reactionary, that we actually are making sure that those are helping us achieve citywide goals. But I think really ultimately how the plan best addresses is, is allowing the plan to be far more flexible at the kind of strategy level. Uh, again, we anticipate reporting back to our, our planning board and city council on our metrics and how well the plan is doing and and uh, have us 
very specific guidance there that we can open up the plan within the first five years even. And uh, if there's strategies that are not helping us move the needle on some of our goals, that we can actually update the plan and, and adjust. And so as some of these emerging technologies become more and more um, clear on what they're actually going to be um, impacting us, we can uh, adopt, uh, adapt the plan to, to meet our needs. Well, if there aren't any other questions, we will conclude. But I do encourage everybody to take a look at the maps um, and contact uh, David, myself, uh, provide your feedback online. Um, and if you're looking for an extension, to ask that for that from David as well. And thank you all for coming. I'd also add it, good uh, positive comments are also welcome. So if, if you're not just complaining about something, that's fine. Go ahead and say great job or I really like this or that. No, I thank think you. he's right. We've certainly seen you know the other side. So. Yes, I, I'd like to have a balanced uh, bit of... Of comments coming in so thank you <laughs> thank you for listening to the brownstein high at farber shrek podcast series if you like what you hear please subscribe and rate us on apple podcasts or your favorite podcast app visit bhfs.com for more information